Greetings, Adventure. Welcome to D220 Academy. I'm your host, Shello Kaneshiro, and today is episode 14, Monster Monday, focusing on the Yuan-Ti. Guys, welcome to the second installment of Monster Monday. Um, this is a segment that I began last week, where um, every Monday, hopefully, um, I'll be able to focus on a different D&D monster, um, you know, kind of spotlight, uh, deep dive into anything I can about it, uh, I typically start with a brief history of the monster and like past game revisions, what inspired its conception, um, its appearance, its abilities, the monster's history and culture, how to incorporate the monster into your games, some of my personal experience with it, um, and all that kind of thing. Like I've mentioned before, um, my life is getting pretty complicated now um, with tons of different projects and things I'm doing. Um, so not only may I have to post less and less uh, episodes every week, um, definitely for Monster Monday, it may become like a bi-weekly thing, just because uh, Monster Mondays in particular take lots and lots of work and time. Um, this episode in particular, it took about an hour and a half to plan, and I assume it's probably going to take about an hour or so to record. Um, so, obviously, I love these. Uh, I really like making them, and they're a lot of fun to do. I learn a lot. I hope uh, you guys all learn a lot. But it just might not be totally possible um, and as frequent as uh, my life gets more complicated with all these different things. Um, but anywho, let's uh, get cracking. Um, I'm really excited to talk about these monsters today. So let's go. All right, we're going to start things off with, uh, with a brief history kind of of the revisions of the monster and such. Um, I just, I'm kind of a nerd. I like to look back on things, um, kind of how they're created and how they've changed over the courses of the game and things like that. Um, but Yuan-Ti uh, is the monster we're focusing on today. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, because that's how we'll be pronouncing for the rest of the episode. Um, but they are a cannibalistic snake people, um, sort of inspired by the ancient Aztecs and Incas. I'll get more into their appearance and abilities um, later, but they were first introduced into the game in the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons uh, in their Monster Annual. In 1981, they appeared in the module Dwellers of the Forbidden City, um, which I believe was actually kind of focused on them. They were kind of like the main villain in that in that little module adventure. Uh, they reappeared in the 1993 Monster Manual for AD&D 2nd Edition, and uh, not only were they, uh, not only did they appear once again in the Monster Manual for the 3rd Edition, um, new variants of the creatures were released in both uh, the Races of Faerun and the Fiend Folio handbooks. Um, they then appeared in every Monster Manual for 3.5 4th and 5th Edition D&D. Uh, and just a little fact, but they're considered product identity of Wizards of the Coast, and so we're not released under the open gaming license uh, for the D20 system. So, Wizards of the Coast owns Zuan-T. They're an original monster for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so that's typically why they haven't appeared anywhere else in pop culture books or movies or other games and stuff like that. It's because Wizards of the Coast owns them, like, legally. Okay, so, um, appearance. Zuan-T, um, they're a pretty unique race of creatures because they come in a variety of forms and variants, um, kind of different levels of snake and human. They have a structured society um, where those who are more snake than human are at the top and those who are more human than snake are at the bottom. The three main kinds of Yuan-Ti are abominations, malisons, and purebloods. Now this might get a little confusing because, like I said, at the top of the hierarchy are, you know, the ones who are more snake then human and like the people, the the Wanty who are seen as lesser, are the ones who are more human than snake. And you might think, oh, that means they must like revere snakes and serpents and stuff, and that's kind of seen as higher than humans. And yes, that's true. But for some reason, 
the ones that are more snake than human, the ones that are more powerful and seen as higher, are called abominations. Well, those on the bottom who see or who are more human than snake are called purebloods. That should be switched around in my mind, but that's just how it is. Uh, anywho, so at the top, like I just said, uh, there's the abominations. So they're large serpentine creatures. Um, they're like a snake, but they also have the torso and arms of a human, but they're completely covered in scales. So they look just like a snake, but with like a torso and arms, but they're, you know, completely covered in scales and, you know, still have like a snake-like head and things like that. Beneath them are the malisons. Um, they're kind of a middle blend between snake and human. They might have snakes for arms, a snake for a head, snake tails, upper half or lower half of snakes. It depends. Um, they kind of come in, in the biggest variety, but they're like half and half typically. And then, the, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the bottom, the weakest of the yuan variants <clears throat> are purebloods. So those are humans with very small traces of serpentine heritage, like slit irises, patches of scales, forked tongues, fangs. Um, so, you know, they look, they seem like humanoids, but they just have little, uh, little aspects of, of a serpent or a snake in them. Okay, so moving just kind of onto their stats and abilities, uh, kind of the features in combat and stuff like that. I don't want to get too nitty-gritty into rules and numbers and roles. Um, and because Abominations, Malices, and Purebloods are also varied, I'm just going to give like brief descriptions and key features of each variant. Oh, it should be noted that the 5e stat blocks of these monsters have them marked as neutral evil um, as an alignment um, in each 5e stat block. It says their size, their type, like humanoid, whatever, dragon, um, and then their alignment. And in all the 5e uh, material, 1t are uh, written down as neutral evil, which I fully disagree with. I think they are very lawful evil. Um, if you're not sure what I'm talking like alignment, what I'm talking about, I made a, a podcast about alignment um, a while ago, so go. I really encourage you to go listen to that one. That one's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, if you understand what I'm talking about, I think Yontier, much more lawfully, <coughs> lawful evil, excuse me. <coughs> so I have something in my throat. And uh, so, just want to point that out, that they are regions neutral evil in the, in the books, but I've, I think they should be lawful evil. Because um, they, they have a very strict hierarchy, society, strategy. <coughs> anyway, I'll get into that. So starting with Abominations, um, their size is large, and they have high strength, constitution, intelligence, and charisma. Um, so they're very hardy, like warriors, so that's why strength and constitution is high for them. Um, they're also masterminds and leaders, so they have high intelligence, and then charisma. Um, Yuan-Ti are very high, high charismatic, um, monsters because they are, you know, one of their biggest things is, like, infiltration and manipulation and things like that, which I will get into. Anywho, um, Abomination is, of course, immune to poison, and the languages they speak are abyssal, draconic, and common. Um, so, it seems that the Yuan-Ti don't actually have a specific language to their race, which I find a little strange, um, because they're such, like, a civilized, very, um, you know, they're, they're very intelligent creatures. I would assume they would have created a language, um, or had a language, but instead they just speak Abyssal, Draconic, and Common. So, I, I don't know, I kind of assume that Yuan-Ti is somewhere between Abyssal and Draconic, um, because... They speak both languages, but I don't know. I would have liked for them to have created a one language in the game and have had them um, kind of speak that. That would have been would have made more sense in my mind. But anywho, um, Abominations, there are challenge rating 7. 
And one of their abilities is they can shape change into an actual snake. So they can um, shape shift into an actual, you know, an actual snake, like a constrictor or a viper or something. Um, I think that's really cool because as large creatures, one of the disadvantages is maneuverability and not being able to, you know, like fit into smaller spaces. So being able to shape change into an actual snake uh, can be really, really helpful. Um, they do have some innate spell casting, um, casting some simple spells just like animal friendship, suggestion, fear. Um, fear is actually pretty powerful, but you know, just just a couple uh, utility things that could help them in battle or just in regular life. They do have magic resistance. Um, I think every single Yonti actually has magic resistance. That is something I don't really understand. I don't really understand why they have magic resistance. Uh, most Wanty can actually cast a couple different spells and stuff. So I guess that would make sense just because they're prone to magic and they understand how it works. Um, but it's never really specified why they have resistance to magic um, or spellcasting. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of up for, up for interpretation. It makes them harder to beat, I guess. Um, and then it just, the Abomination just bas has like basic weapon attacks. A constrict attack where like it squeezes and tries to suffocate an enemy. Um, so it, it's pretty varied. It has, has some really cool abilities. Like being able to shapeshift into an actual snake can be really cool. Definitely if it wants to escape. You know, slip into cracks and small tunnels. Um, the spellcasting can be pretty cool. Help with, you know, some spacing and things like that during battle. Definitely the fear and suggestion. Um, but their, their weapon, like their attacks are just very basic. Just like bite, sword, you know, constrict, so... Yeah. Alright, now we're going to move on to Malisons. Alright, so Malisons are, uh, their size is medium, so, you know, just like the same as like a humanoid. And they have high strength and charisma, so they have high strength because their attacks are pretty powerful. And then of course high charisma, like I said, um, they're very charismatic creatures. Um, they have very good at communication, manipulation, things like that. Of course, uh, Malisons have immunity to poison. Same languages, Abyssal Draconic, again, the common. Uh, and they're challenge rating 3. They can also shape change into an actual snake, um, which is going to be a little less powerful than the abominations, but they can still do that, which is really cool. And they have a little less uh, spellcasting. They can only cast animal friendship and suggestion. They have a couple different like types, um, depending what kind of like where the snake and human parts are. Um, I believe in the reg like the regular monster manual in 5th edition, there's three types. One with snakes for arms, one with a snake bottom instead of legs, and then one with a snake head. Um, so that's mo mostly aesthetic. They have like a couple different features depending on which type they are. Um, but I think in Volo's Guide to Monsters, um, which is another book they released a little bit later, which you know provides way more yuan tea and more details about them, um, I think they added two more, types four and five, but I can't tell you what they have. I think one has a snake tail or something like that. Um, anywho, Malisons are also have magic resistance and, you know, basic weapon attacks with their swords or their bows, or, you know, if they're the kind with a snake head, they can bite. Okay, now we're at the bottom uh, with Purebloods. Um, their size is medium, and they have okay dexterity, I think that's what they use for their attacks, but they also have high charisma. Purebloods uh, need to have high charisma, um, as I'll get into later, they are used to, like, infiltrate human societies and manipulate and talk their way through, um, you know, regular civilization. So it's good that they have high charisma, because they're kind of like the operatives and the, uh, the spokespeople of, of the Iwanti. 
They also have immunity to poison. Same languages, they are only challenge rating 1, so quite weak. They do not have the shape change ability to turn into a snake. They can only be themselves. And to their innate spellcasting, animal friendship suggestion, um, and they also have poison spray, which is a basic uh, cantrip that deals poison damage just um, in a very small area. They also have magic resistance and basic weapon attacks, right? Depending on what they're holding, daggers, swords, bows, um, whatever that is. Whatever, you know, they're wielding at the time. So remember, purebloods are look essentially like humanoids, so like a human or an elf, um, but they have just slight variations that can, uh, you know, that are serpentine. Okay, so in 5th edition, there's the Volus' Guide to Monsters, like I just mentioned. Um, it, it's a really cool book. It gives more history and description on a couple different kinds of monsters. Um, two of which are the Mind Flayers and the Yuan-Ti, which I focus on in these first two uh, Monster Mondays. It's been really nice to have all, that, all the extra inf information they have on them and those extra variants and things they put in the, the back, um, all those new stat blocks. Um, but Volo's Guide introduces four new Yuan-Ti variants plus the stats for a Broodguard, um, which I'll get into in a second. So three of the variants are Mind Whisperer, Nightmare Speaker, and Pitmaster. And those are all Malison Priests devoted to, like, a different god. I'll get into those in a second. Um, but the final Yuan-Ti variant that Volo's Guide had is the Anathema, which is, like, the ultimate abomination and pinnacle of Yuan-Ti form. Um, basically, um, I'll get into, like, how these human priests and cultists, they perform these dark rituals and things to turn themselves into more snake-like. Um, and the more you do it, the more snake you become. So abomination, right, is, like, the most snake you can become. But if you have the right materials, if you have, like, there's this rare chance that you can perform another ritual to turn you into an anathema, which is just a super powerful, um, Yuan-Ti abomination. Um, wherever they are, they are powerful, evil rulers. They're more cunning and twisted than, you know, even imaginable. Oh, sorry, something just fell off, uh, the uh, desk. And they, uh, you know, they weave masterful plots, um, patiently, because anathemas are actually immortal. They're the only immortal yuan -Ti. So they can just slurk in the shadows, plotting, um, weaving these plots, um, till they're ready to strike. So anathemas are really cool, um, but so are, so are also all the variants. So I said four new yuan -Ti variants plus the stats for the Broodguard. So Broodguard is not a, um, is not, is not really yuan -Ti. Um... I think I'm going to get into them a bit more later, um, but yeah, so brood guards are basically those who, oh no, I, I think, sorry, <coughs> I lost my train of thought, um, brood guards are um, kind of these hunched over serpent creatures, um, they are devoted to protecting uh, broods, right, so eggs, or your auntie eggs. And they're not really like humans who, who have wanted to ascend to become more snake-like, become more powerful. They're typically like slaves or other creatures who the Yuan-Ti have, you know, like broken their minds and broken them into submission. And then fed them this, this elixir to turn them into these, these large loyal creatures who can, you know, guard their, their hatchlings or guard their fortresses or things like that. Um, their size is medium and they have high strength, low, low, very low mental stats, um... They just listen to whatever the Yuan-Ti masters say, um, but their bite attacks, claw attacks um, are pretty devastating, and their challenge level two. Okay, so getting into the three different Malison variants that Veloscat introduces, um, the first is the Mind Whisperer. So that is 
M. Allison devoted to Seth, the sibilant death. Now, these, before, sorry, before I continue, these three Malisons are all based on priests for a different god. And these gods are all in the Forgotten Realms. Um, all the lore and everything in 5th edition uh, material that they have published so far is all for the Forgotten Realms. Um, so if you're not playing in that campaign setting, then obviously things will be different. The, the history of the Yuan-Ti, their culture, you know, all this stuff might be different depending on what you're playing. If it's Homebrew Campaign or Eberron or something like that. Um, so you may not even use these special Malice and Priests just because those gods don't exist in your world. Or you may just make, you know, connect them to a different god depending on what campaign setting you're playing. I think they're, they're all pretty cool, so I would like to have them in my game if possible. Just, you know, fit them into the pantheon of gods that I've created. But anywho, back to the Mind Whispers. Um, they're devoted to the Forgotten Realms god Seth, the Sibilant Death. Uh, they are manipulators, masterminds, um, and they like plot with multiple allies only to betray all of them and you know get the most out of everything they can. They are medium, and they have high strength and high charisma. Uh, they're challenge rating 4, and they have literal spellcasting. So where the other Yonchi I've described, um, Abominations, Malicents, Purebloods, they all have innate spellcasting, which is just kind of... It's explained in 5th edition as, you know, spells you just kind of know innately, like sorcerers, just things you're born with. Whereas literal spellcasting is something that is learned and gained. Um, so, they know warlock spells uh, kind of based on madness and illusion. These are the mind whispers. And then they just have basic attacks, right? Whatever they're wielding. Swords or a bite or something like that. Um, also, mind whispers can only be the Malison variant that has a snake for a head. Nightmare speakers... Uh, can only be the Malison variant that has a serpentine lower half of their body. And then Pitmasters, which is the final Malison I'll get into in a second, um, can only be the, the, the Malison variant that has uh, snakes for arms. Okay, so Nightmare Speaker, real quick. Uh, they are devoted to the, the serpent god Dendar, the Night Serpent. Um, they feed off of fear and pain, and they master the arts of tor torture, coercion, mental erosion. Um, very dark, twisted priests. Their size is medium, and their highest is strength for physical attacks and charisma for spellcasting. They are also challenge rating 4, and their little spellcasting um, are also warlock spells, but they're more based on damage and fear. So, more, more common uh, spells, you know, that will deal damage, and then also a couple that are based on fear and the frightened condition. Um, they also have some cool snake-like attacks, and even an attack called Invoke Nightmare, where they manifest their target's worst fear and then make them take psychic damage and become frightened. Um, I think that's really cool. So the final uh, Malison variant that Volor's Guide introduces is the Pitmaster. So they are Malison devoted to the god Mershok. Uh, this god is like in a, in a deep slumber, um, but they want to bring uh, Mershok back to the surface, bring him back to power. So they are patient, calculated, um, they take their time to like infiltrate and topple governments, their size is medium, they also have high strength and charisma. Now they are challenge rating 5, so they're the most powerful of um, all the Malison priests. And their little spellcasting are warlock spells um, based more like wizard-like versatility. So they have um, wizards as a class are known for having lots of versatile spells, things that do damage, um, you know, things to control things, make illusions, um, all that kind of thing. Pitmasters are very similar, they have a wide variety of spells that can work in lots of different situations. They also have basic weapon attacks, and an ability called Mershock Slumber, where they can make up to five targets fall asleep. So that can be really cool and really dangerous. Okay, the final Yuan-Ti variant is, of course, the Anathema. 
this huge six-headed abomination, um, very high strength and constitution for you know physical battle, also very high intelligence for you know being able to weave like their master plots, and then also of course charisma uh, because they're such great leaders. They're challenge rating twelve, um, so quite the big boss. Don't want to throw these against your party till they're you know very capable. And the anathema has a couple powerful spells um, in their innate spellcasting ability. Um, darkness, fear, polymorph, uh, pretty powerful, and even divine word, which is a you know a very powerful spell if you, if you know what that one is. They have an ability called Ophidiophobia Aura. Don't know what that means. I believe it's the fear of snakes, um, because what that ability does is that any creature that starts uh, in this aura, this this area around the anathema, has to make a save, and if they fail, they become frightened of snakes and Yuanti. And if you don't know what the frightened condition is in d it's actually quite a powerful condition. Um, and if you are frightened, you are much uh, less useful in a battle. So being able to just constantly emit this aura that can make your opponents be scared of snakes and Yuanti can be a really, really... Um, clutch ability uh, tactically and in battle and so anathemas are definitely something to be feared but i mean even beyond that they have six um snake heads um so what that means is they have advantage against being blinded deafened stunned knocked unconscious um because they just you know they have so many heads who are always alert and looking every direction and they their attacks are pretty basic just clawing with their arms um constricting and then of course the flurry of bites where all the six heads strike at one target, dealing piercing and poison damage, uh, things like that. Um, oh, also, of course, all the other variants that I've described have immunity to poison. Okay, now uh, let's get into kind of the Yuanti history, the origin, their culture, uh, one of my favorite parts. Okay, so I've kind of dropped in here and there kind of what like the Yuanti culture and kind of their hierarchy and things like that. Um, but right now is the time I'll really deep dive into that, uh, really get into that. So... Yuanti are evil serpent folk who have chosen to emulate their diabolical snake gods um, just in any way possible. They were once a thriving civilization of humans, and they discovered and began worshipping the serpent's gods um, who called them to a greater purpose. They sought to make themselves as snake-like as possible, right? Cunning, deadly, cold-blooded. They admired the emotionless, intellectual creatures and wanted to become like them, shedding off the skin of emotional, passionate um, you know, humans. So through rituals of sacrifice, cannibalism, dark magic, they turn themselves into just these cold, evil creatures of pure, passionless energy. Um, so they're definitely an evil, evil race. Um, if you didn't already know that. <laughs> As monsters, uh, they're very, they're very dark, evil race, and they're very scary because um, how intellectual and smart they are and emotionless. So... This history that I'm giving right now is, like I said, the one that is provided by the 5th edition books, which describes uh, just the, the story in the Forgotten Realms. So this may be different depending on your, um, on your campaign setting. But anywho, these empires, they expanded rapidly. They had no remorse for the weak or the unfortunate. They built stepped citadels, temples of stone and gold, and just their fanatical lust for emulating and even one day supplanting their dark gods became insatiable. Um, but more rituals meant more materials needed, and that meant more people. So they continued attacking, overtaking, growing in power, cold, calculated cunning. Um, they all wanted to shed their skin of humanity and duck themselves into the hierarchy of the serpentine cold-bloodedness of the Yuan-Ti. Um, and then suddenly disaster struck, 
a combination of famine, drought, enemy attacks, and innovative developments of war by their enemies, loosed their grip on the cities that they'd controlled, and they slunk back into hiding. So now they're attempting to rebuild using cunning plots, subterfuge, assassination, infiltration, coercion to topple their strongest opponents and like poison them from within. Um, now, of course, depending on what you're campaigning, like I said, this may be different. And even if you're playing the Forgotten Realms, maybe you'll play, you know, like back in time when the you want to were still a formidable foe, or maybe you're playing um, nowadays where you know they're hidden and very few. Um, so they can live anywhere. They can have a colony of any size. Typically, they'll post in ruins or hidden places outside of cities or ports, and then send in their purebloods to infiltrate and slowly overtake their society from within, you know, preparing it for Ruanti invasion and rule. So purebloods will work their way up to ruling positions or those of power and influence within these, these human cities or these, you know, these, these societies because they can appear as humans or elves or you know, basic hum humanoids. Um, they're able to infiltrate these places and climb to their tops, you know, start sowing corruption uh, from within. So, you know, they spend their time slowly just tightening their grip and strangling the society. Um, I, I really like, uh, something I really, really like about how they've designed the race, um, uh, you know, and how, how the monsters are, is their, their tactics and their strategies are very similar to that of, like, an actual snake. Um, you know, to just slowly crush things, just slowly over time and gradually, um, you know, suck the life out of something and that's kind of what they do they send in these pure bloods that slowly over time you know so poison so corruption within these societies um you know slowly just tighten their grip around it until uh you know the society crumbles and the yuanti can come over and overtake them also as individuals who have admired the cold-bloodedness of snakes um they have no emotion or compassion um but they understand that their opponents do and so they use that as a weakness that can be taken advantage of. Um, so this is something that I find really cool and really dangerous about them. Um, some Ruanti attempt to rebuild their ancient cities from the ruins. Uh, they dwell within broken ziggurats, what remains of their temples. They tame the jungle in which they dwell and gradually transform the chaos into cold, calculated cunning. Um, because Ruanti are such an intellectual and ordered race of monsters, their societies are divided into a steadfast hierarchical order. So at the top are abominations, um, or any want to have nearly perfected themselves into completely serpentine beings of power. Typically, abominations will rule uh, in a colony of, or society of Yuanti, unless, of course, there's an anathema. An anathema, uh, very rare, but they will be the, uh, you know, the number one at the top. So below the anathema or abominations, whoever's leading, the most snake-like beings are warlocks and priests, um, which are usually malisons. Um, sometimes they're not religious, or more powerful spellcasters, but are more focused on, like, um, weapon combat and as soldiers. Um, but, you know, they don't only devote their time to, like, their gods, their superiors, but they also, you know, they plot their own ascension into, into the higher order to, to rise above the ranks. Below them are the purebloods. They're the weakest of the Yuan-Ti and the least powerful, but, of course, very valuable and useful, um, definitely when it comes to infiltrating and overtaking, um, you know, regular societies, human societies. And at the very bottom are slaves. Um, they're used as labor workers, ritual fodder, food, and brood guards, which are the hunched-over um, serpentine creatures I described earlier. So, you know, they have large, powerful arms, menacing tusks. They're completely loyal and subservient, and they, you know, guard the Yuan-Ti eggs. Um, it should be noted that because Yuan-Ti are primarily intellectual and strategical thinkers, they will always put their survival before any, you know, 
like intangible ideal like honor or pride. So retreating, regrouping, ambushing, it's a typical Yuan-Ti tactic to better ensure victory in battle. Um, so because they're just emotionless, purely intellectual, strategical thinkers, um, they have no need for honor, pride, um, you know, any kind of ideals like that. So they will just do whatever it is, do whatever it takes to survive themselves. Um, now saying this, those in the lower caste system will sacrifice themselves to protect those above them, since their lives are considered lesser. Um, now, saying all this with, you know, this, this hierarchical order, it fits with their idea, ideals as well, um, that the Yuan-Ti are the perfect race, um, that they have, you know, emulated these, these perfect gods, and they are above all other creatures, so humans, elves, anything. Um, the Yuan-Ti are the, are the superior race. So even in, in, their, in their structure, purebloods are still, you know, even at the bottom of Yuan-Ti society, are still considered just above um, all these other creatures. Okay, so real quick, because they are driven primarily by cunning, foresight, um, most one will actually capture opponents instead of kill them. So, you know, all enemies can be used as slaves, sacrificial fodder, food, and they have no inherent, like, lust for butchering or eradicating enemies because they are not driven by primal urges like other creatures. They understand the strategical advantage of keeping other creatures alive for consistent use rather than sating an emotional hunger. Um... Their culture and aesthetic is clearly based off of that of the ancient Aztecs and Incas in South America. Uh, the art in the D&D books depict their cities as great expanses of steps, temples, and ziggurats covered in serpent motifs within a lush jungle. Um, and much like these ancient people, the Yuan-Ti perform human sacrifice, cannibalism, to please their gods, and, to, and they also keep slaves to perform menial labor. Um, both the Aztecs and the Yuan-Ti also both have structured society and hierarchy, and great wealth in gold, silver, bronze. And, of course, the differences come with the serpent and snake motifs and symbolism and, of course, the innate evil and, you know, darkness, twistedness of the Yuan-Ti. Um, I think the South American cultures, uh, you know, these ancient societies, Aztec, Incas, I think they're the perfect fit for a monstrous race like the Yuan-Ti. And the aesthetic is vibrant, imaginative, grounded. Um, I, I just, I really like the, uh, the Inca-Aztec kind of vibe. And it really, really fits for the Yuan-Ti. Um, so... Getting on to kind of like the Yuan-Ti's like purpose, their goal as like a people, as a society. Their ultimate goal uh, is not really clearly expressed in the text that I've found. Some sources say that their goal is to bring about the destruction of the world, while others say that they want to rule over it. Um, and I think the purpose and goal should be left to the DM and how they want to use the Yuan-Ti in their campaign. Uh, I think that the Yuan-Ti goal of destroying the world is a bit off flavor. Um, they want power, they want to be on top, and to destroy everything you've built and worked for seems more of like a chaotic and primal desire than an intellectual one. Um, the desire to rule over all beings you see as lesser seems much more in line with your anti-beliefs and ideals. It would make sense to me if their, their, their main goal and mission was to just control the world, complete dominion. Um, however, depending on which god they value most highly, I can see a more animalistic and vicious kind of Yuan-Ti you know, who are trying to destroy the entire world as a really interesting and intimidating force in your campaign. Um, also, of course, you can make their, as a DM, you can, you can make their need, their purpose and goal, anything you want. Um, dominion and destruction of the world, you know, those are very simple. Um, you know, we've seen that a lot in pop culture and stories of all kinds. It works, you know, it's fine. It's, it makes sense, it, you know, it, it can be a dangerous force, it's understandable, it's tangible for most players. 
Um, but if you do want to make it something more deep, um, you know, something like Redemption or Revenge or something like that, uh, definitely, uh, you know, explore how the one team might have a different goal or purpose like that. Okay, so I've kind of talked all of I really can about their, their society, their structure, their abilities, all that kind of stuff. Now I want to get into how to integrate them into your campaign. Okay, yes, uh, first off, these first two Monster Mondays that uh, I have focused on um, are two somewhat similar monsters. Um, Mind Flayers and Yuanti do have some similarities when it comes to campaign use and such. Um, so yeah, if if you're kind of if you've listened to the uh, the other Monster Monday and this one, there is some similarities, just kind of in ideals and society and stuff. Um, but I think they're varied enough, and I think I think I find them both really cool. Um, but anyway, just wanted to um, you know address that because that some of you may be thinking that um, they're 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 quite different monsters. Um, but some things I talked about like in campaign integration or ideas I had with Mind Flayers could also work with Yonti because they do have some similarities. Um, okay, so first off in campaign integration. Wanti are phenomenal BBEGs. If you don't know what that is, that stands for uh, Big Bad Evil Guy, kind of the main villain in your campaign. Um, Yuanti are crazy good BBEGs. Just as uh, an evil force, um, something that opposes the heroes of the, of the main campaign storyline, they're fantastic. Fantastic. Um... I mean, they they are menacing, they're challenging, um, and a Yuan-Ti Anathema serves as just a perfect, like, singular villain and mastermind. Um, you know, obviously, like, the Yuan-Ti race would be, like, the BBG, you know, like, the Big Bad Evil guys, but the specific, like, the specific leader and Big Bad Evil guy would be the Anathema, and the Anathemas make great BBGs. Um, just their aesthetic, their lore, just everything about them. Um, if you do want Yuan-Ti to be your BBEG race... Um, the main opposing force in your campaign, I would go down one uh, of two routes. One, they are, are a powerful and menacing force already. So they are not in hiding or few in number. They're attempting to take over the world and destroy it or something similar. Um, so this can lead to a campaign more focused on war and the combat primal side of Yuan-Ti. If you looked at any art of the creatures or anything, um, they're very terrifying, very vicious uh, looking creatures. And... You know, depicted lots as holding like swords and shields, um, so like their their soldier, like war kind of themed campaign uh, as the Yuanti attempt to overtake the world, um, could be really cool. The second route I'd go with having the Yuanti as your BBEG race um, would be that they they are in hiding. Um, there there are very few in the world, but are attempting to overtake the world using infiltration and subtle slow advances at civilized society. So this campaign will be much more focused on politics, intrigue, than kind of more epic war battles. Um, it will focus heavily on mystery, deduction, stealth, and I can easily also see a deep, dark tangent that can focus on the religion and the bloody ritual side of the Yuan-Ti, um, depending on, you know, how dark or how crazy you want your campaign to get. Um, the Yuan-Ti make the perfect uh, just BBEG for that kind of campaign if, if you if you love politics and intrigue if that's kind of what your playgroup fits uh, more much more into role playing and mystery then definitely you want to make good uh villains for that just because the pure blood you know they're trying to infiltrate society poison it from within there's corruption you're trying to find out who's you want to who's not where they're hiding all that kind of thing um so they make great bbgs uh in that sense as well a uh, second reason why they are just f- great uh in a campaign is just their fantastic aesthetic 
Um, they themselves are just well-designed creatures. They have a signature look and feel. Uh, the snake-human hybrid is a very cool aesthetic. And, you know, you just all the one-teeth, they just look amazing. If you've seen any art, um, they just they look they look amazing. Um, their, their cold, slippery, cunning aesthetic um, also helps accentuate and mirror their cold, slippery, and cunning culture and mindset. Um, they're just, they're, they're a great race of monsters. Um, also, because they're based on, like, an actual real-life culture and society, right, like the Aztecs and Incas, they feel real and authentic. And this helps them become very, very threatening, right, much more threatening. Because their balance between, like, fantastical and gritty realism allows them to feel fun and imaginative in a campaign, while also, like, a literal danger and threat. Now, I'm a little biased, um, for, like, the aesthetics, because I'm a sucker for, like, Aztec architecture, um, I just, when I was in elementary school, I, like, I did all my papers and everything that I possibly could about the Aztecs. Um, I, I just really find the whole aesthetic, I find all the culture really interesting, uh, their religion, their, you know, the things they would do in war, their practices, their education, like, I just found a, a lot, uh, interesting about the Aztecs, even, like, their architecture. Um, so the Yuanti environment is just fantastic. Uh, not only is like the jungle biome and their ziggurats of stone and gold beautiful and aesthetically pleasing, they're fantastic environments for encounters. You know, the, like the steps, temples, the ziggurats with levels and tunnels, it can lead to awesome locations to run dungeon crawls and epic battles. And the jungle is just an insane environment that can lead to all kinds of exciting encounters like tree chases, quicksand, insect plagues, tribal battles, dinosaur encounters, you know, whatever. Um, also, it provides a hook. Uh, they want you to provide a hook into what could be an exhilarating Indiana Jones-like adventure. Because, um, you know, kind of the Indiana Jones classic adventure is to, you know, sink into, like, an Aztec-trapped temple, take some kind of, you know, artifact and escape back out. And that could be something that's really fun to play through in, in the D&D campaign. Uh, that adventure sounds really fun. Um, so if, um, you you know, you were interested in playing something like that, um, do you want to a perfect hook for that because they're, um, you know, their their society, their environment is that, you know, very Aztec temple in a jungle kind of thing. Uh, you know, exploration, adventurous feel. Okay. Now, the main, main reason that I think they are perfect for, like, why they should be in your campaign and why I love them is they're just the best race to run as villains in a political and intrigue-based campaign. Um, I'm super biased um, when it comes to this. I love the details of politics, intrigue, um, stealthing, mystery, deduction. Like, I love all that um, so much. Role-playing, I, I love all that kind of thing. And the Yuan-Ti are just the perfect monsters for it. Um, while, like, some, like, undead creatures like Revenants and, like, vampires can be cool in a more gothic-themed themed campaign that might be a little more mysterious, um, no other monster race that I can find meets the perfection of the Yuan-Ti in the political and intrigue genre. Um, not only are the fact that, like, the purebloods can infiltrate, and, you know, they're very cool, also that the other, um, Yuan-Ti can turn into, you know, tiny snakes and sneak in like that, it's just, they're meant for this kind of campaign, uh, just a super cool race, um, definitely for this kind of, like, intrigued, politics-based campaign, and I'm super biased because that's kind of, kind of thing I love, obviously, if your playgroup is not really into that, um, they can also be a great race, just like I said, for like the kind of Indiana Jones-like adventures, the war-based, soldier-based campaign, whatever. They're just they're just such such a great race, such a great monster. Uh, okay, and then finally, um, I'll get into my personal experience. So I sadly um, have used Wanty very very little in my own personal experience. Um, as a player, I've never encountered them. 
And as, an, as a DM, I've barely tapped into their capabilities. In my current campaign uh, that I'm running, that we're finishing up here soon, um, I had a brother-sister pair of purebloods as the leaders of a thieves' guild, and they played a small part in the story kind of earlier on. They were pretty cool characters. They had a special kind of instant kill venom that they could produce, uh, that the guild was mass-producing to take over the city. They kind of had this, this, this side plot that the, the players had to deal with. Um, they helped like an, another big army like infiltrate the city and attack from within. They were pretty cool. Um, the characters and like the poison they were created were destroyed by the heroes. Um, but I liked it when they were in the campaign. I didn't really explore much um, of like the culture and the Yuan-Ti thing. But the fact that they were Yuan-Ti and that they produced this venom was you know pretty important to that little side story. Um, so that was pretty cool. They were purebloods. But um, that, that's, that's the only time they've appeared in the campaign I'm running. And like I said, as a player, I've, I've never ran into them. Um, so I do have another campaign setting that I worked on a while ago. Um, it was for a campaign that I was attempting to run. I was only able to run two sessions of it before life happened. Um, and we really haven't you know, met up in a while, me and that playgroup. They were new to the game, so I wanted to create a, um, a new world for them, something that I've already been working on a little bit. Um, but it didn't really work out perfectly, so we were only able to play two sessions. But essentially, in that world that I was building, there were four big civilizations, and it was going to be like a war-based campaign um, about, you know, the, the, the effects of war and all that kind of thing and how the, the heroes will play a part. Um, so one of the four big civilizations was the Yuan-Ti, and they lived in, like, these, you know, these jungles and their, and their great stepped ziggurats and temples. Um, this was, of course, focusing more on, like, the war primal side um, than the political intrigue side of the Yuan-Ti. Um, but sadly, I have yet to play in that campaign setting. But after I got Volo's Guide and I kind of read through that chapter, looked at all, like, the new variants they introduced, I knew, okay, I have to, you know, introduce Yuan-Ti into the next thing I do. So... I had started to integrate them into that campaign setting, uh, but sadly we weren't able to continue that one. Um, but because I fleshed out like that campaign and like that setting actually pretty thoroughly, uh, if I ever run another campaign uh, in the future and I, you know, kind of a pickup game, I'd probably play it in that world because you know I really want to explore that uh, some of the the concepts that I had in that world, and yeah. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I had a lot of fun planning for this and talking about this. Um, obviously, the Yuan-Ti are one of my favorite races, one of my favorite monsters. I really like them. I really hope to, you know, use them more in the future. But I encourage you guys to reduce, do some research of your own. Uh, see if you see if you know as a DM if you'd like to integrate them into your campaign. Um, also in Volo's guide, there were stats for if you, as a player, wanted to play as a Yuan-Ti pureblood. Um, that seems pretty cool. Obviously, talk to your DM before, you know, playing kind of an evil darker race like a Yuan-Ti. Um, you know, make sure that the campaign and the, the story and everything fits for that. But yeah, if you're a player and you really like what I've described here and like you've kind of inspired, that that's a cool race that you can play that's in the Volo's Guide, but you can probably find it for free online. I'm gonna say, if you're a DM, hopefully I've inspired you. Um, maybe you can, you know, give Yuan-Ti a shot in your campaign. Um, you know, see how they work for you. I really like them, obviously. I really like what they bring to the table. Um, but yeah, hopefully you learned something. Hopefully I answered some of your questions. Uh, thank you so much for listening and have a great day.